No. I'm not worried at all. I rely on God, Allah. Bismillah, alhamdulillah, wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome to the 24th episode of the Lifehawk podcast. And uh, after all these episodes and all the stress building up, we're going to have a special podcast dedicated. Uh, the prescription Dr. Sayed's RX to deal with stress. Okay, so Dr. Sayed's prescription to deal with stress. And there are so many things that have the world stressed out right now. There are probably so many things that have you stressed out right now. People are stressed out about their families. Um, they may have family members that are sick. So COVID is making life very stressful. The day-to-day -day is becoming very, very stressful for people. Just going grocery shopping. Uh, you might need to wear a hazmat suit. Uh, you know, become you know completely covered from head to toe. Uh, so for, you know, many of the muhajibat, like this is just the, they're normal. So they're, they're, they, they might be okay. But, uh, for those of us now we can experience what many of the muhajibat, uh, you know, have to dawn, you know, when they go out. And, uh, so just doing that, just dealing, uh, you know, normal, your, your normal everyday transactions going to the bank is different now. Getting a haircut is different now. Like you have your own cubicle now and you get a haircut. Um, your uh, restaurants, your, maybe your favorite restaurant, if it hasn't closed down yet, uh, they're maybe making these bubbles that you have to eat inside a bubble or eat outside. Hey, you know, take your meal and go out into the parking lot, eat it out there. So it's just so many aspects of life are so different like you know people are losing jobs because of this uh, latest pandemic obviously travel restrictions maybe you can't visit family members uh maybe you had to travel for work so many different things out of whack so you know whether it's your health whether it's your job whether it's you know your economic situation whether it's uh you know the sometimes uh high impact environment uh high confrontation environment that can occur uh outdoors and indoors uh all of these different things have people's stressed amped up so everything is really ramped up for many different types of people and uh you know some of the things that i'm hearing is that you know like certain things that you took for granted now they're becoming major issues that you have to deal for. So, for example, something like childcare. For many people, they never gave it a second thought. Okay, childcare, we have it covered. But now, even childcare alone has become very problematic. How do we manage childcare? How do we manage a career and childcare? Or even with schooling, okay, we got to worry about the kids' school. Kids who are in school, they're like, okay. Uh, I was waiting for so many years to graduate, working so hard, and now I can't have a proper graduation ceremony. So there are things that are hitting everybody in so many different ways and levels. Anxiety is up, uh, you know, mental uh, issues like stress and illnesses are up. They're looking at some of the statistics where binge drinking has increased dramatically. Uh, and uh, also incidences of depression, isolation, all of these different things have people, 
really stressed out. So now dealing with this stress is different for each and every individual person. So every person has their own world of stress, their own whirlwind of stress that they have to deal with. And I remember, you know, when I was a student many years ago and uh, I was in uh, third year of undergraduate program and, uh, you know, we just had exams and exams are pretty stressful. So no doubt exams are a really stressful time in a student's life. And at that time, I was living away from home. I had to manage my finances, so I had to pay for rent uh, besides paying for school and all the other expenses associated with that. And uh, and so the first thing that I was thinking of was I need to find a job uh, once I finish my exams because I really needed to find something I could work full time and uh, make some money, pay my bills, pay my rent, essentially. My rent that would be due the next month. And uh, it's difficult for so, for students in the summertime to find a job. It's, uh, it's a hard thing to do because uh, not too many employers want to hire somebody just for the summer. They don't want to invest in you for training. They don't want to invest in you the time and effort so you get to learn the ropes and then uh, you know, at the end of the summer, you leave and you go back to school. So, uh, you know, a lot of places they'll ask you, like, you know, what are your uh, career goals? And that's essentially what I know is like, are you w wanting to uh, put the more time into it? So are you going to be here long term? And, uh, you know, it's it, it's hard to find those types of people and it's hard to get a job as well because they're always going to give preference uh, to other people. But I was able to find a job. I was able to that particular summer. I was able to find a job tech support for Yahoo. Yes, that's right. Yahoo, a very prestigious place to find yourself to do tech support. Uh, the number one search engine in 1998. Yes, right after, well, maybe just before Alta Vista. So if anyone knows about that, uh, you're a dinosaur like myself. And that's just above Ask, Ask Jeeves, which was probably one of the most underrated uh, search engines. Jeeves always seemed to be there uh, for me when I needed him most. So anyhow, uh, this uh, job that I was hired for was a call center tech support, Yahoo. There was three weeks of training that were involved in this. And uh, I had prearranged when I was hired that uh, on Juma, so on the Friday prayer, I needed that time off so I could leave for the Friday prayer. And so the way that the timing worked out, uh, would have worked out is that just almost right after lunch, I would have to leave for the rest of the afternoon because the, by the time I went for Jum'ah and came back, um, you know, the, the rest of the day would have been completed. So basically I would have to leave early on Friday. And so I had uh, permission uh, to do that. So what happened is the trainer, uh, she didn't make a big issue about it on the first Jum'ah, came and went. Uh, the second Jum'ah came and went. And then uh, the third one, before the third one, so the Thursday before, she said, listen, this particular Friday is going to be a very critical Friday for you to get your training, some things that you have to learn. And uh, if you don't 
uh, go through that process and then we have kind of our graduation ceremony at the end, then you're not going to be able to graduate from training. And it kind of blindsided me because you know, I was expecting to be able to go for every Jum'ah. I was able to go up to that point. And now all of a sudden she's saying that I can't go. So uh, it, it kind of surprised you. It kind of blindsided you as a lot of stressful situations do. And uh, there's a lot of factors involved, right? Because there's money, a factor involved. So there's a financial situation or pressure involved. There's a social pressure involved because you've been with this class for like over two and a half weeks. And now you're the one guy who's making an issue and problem and may not graduate with this class. Um, and so there's this you know, type of stress that's involved in this situation. And so I said to myself, what am I going to do? Uh, you know, can I miss Juma? Should I miss Juma? And uh, it was really bothering me. And it was at that time very stressful to deal with. And... Um, and, I, and when I was reflecting upon this, I realized that nobody would understand the stress that I was going through except for me. Nobody would really understand that. You know, for for some people, they would say, hey, that's not a big deal. Like for a person uh, who who's never been to Friday prayer, doesn't regularly go to Friday prayer, that's not going to be a big deal for them. Oh, wow, you're missing Friday prayer. Like, you know, just do the training, man. Don't stress yourself out. You have to pay rent. You got to put some food in your fridge. Uh, you know, take care of this uh, this money stuff. So, but you know, for other people who are very close to the dean, that would be very if they understood. They're sitting in their shoes and say, "Hey, you know what? I had a similar experience. I can under appreciate that. I was really scared to ask my boss for time off. Uh, I was in a similar situation where we had an important meeting or an important exam at the time of Jum'ah, and you know, I was going through a hard time with either administration or my boss or my manager, whatever. So those types of people may be able to understand, right? They might be able to connect with what you're going through, but nobody can really understand the type of stress that you go through. And everybody's stress varies. So for somebody, like nobody knows, maybe you're dealing with a health issue. Nobody knows that deep down inside you're dealing with money issues, you know, nobody knows that you're dealing with like maybe a high level of anxiety uh, with this pandemic, uh, you know, with uh, in addition to that, we have these protests, right? So we have a lot of these issues now coming out in the forefront. And as is usually the case, a lot of these issues uh, the lightning rod is within the United States, and then you can see the reverberation, the effect all across the world. So you're having protests all across the world because there's injustice, frankly, everywhere. Uh, United States does not have a monopoly on racism and injustice. You see that in Canada. Just the other day, uh, you know, Jagmeet Singh got into it with uh, in in Parliament. And, uh, you know, he was he was basically uh, calling one of the members of uh, Bloc Quebecois racist. And then he got kicked out of uh, parliament for that. So I'm sure for him it was a very stressful situation. That was a stressful thing even to watch unfold as Canadians within our country uh, for people to talk about uh, some people to talk about systemic racism and other people to completely deny it. OK. All this interesting. Don't you find it interesting that. Um, uh, you know, <laughs> the people who deny systemic racism, uh, you know, look a certain way. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you have to experience it. One of those things about systemic racism is either 
you have to experience it or you have to be a scholar in the subject. You have to like sincerely study that subject. So unfortunately, the people who are denying it um, don't have the experience and don't have the scholarship, uh, unfortunately. But it's bringing those conversations to the forefront. And I remember one of the sisters mentioning to me how you could see some of the vitriol uh, you would see online being spewed online with people kind of going at each other and finding camps and just like uh, uh, as good, you know, people I think sometimes don't understand that, you know, Canadians can also be very rude and heartless at times. So what the ways that people go, even Canadians can go after each other online. And so when you go online now, so all this stuff is happening in the mass media. Okay, so you see like, okay, protests, injustice. Uh, uh, there's there's all this stuff going on, the pandemic. You go online and then you have super opinionated uh, from people who turn from kittens to mountain lions, you know, on the keyboard. Uh, going at each other's throats and so now you go online and then maybe there's like a friend that you have or somebody that's on your facebook and they have an opinion that you don't agree with and there's, there's now a huge spike in stress in your life and so what happens to you physiologically what happens to an individual when they go through a high level of stress well your body releases uh two hormones one of which is cortisol and the other of which is adrenaline and so what does that do? That causes your heart rate to increase. Uh, it causes your blood pressure to increase. It causes your blood vessels to constrict. And uh, it puts a stress uh, just generally on all your systems within your body physiologically. It clouds your thinking. So you're not able to think very clearly. So if you look at some of the illnesses now that are related to stress, you have illnesses like heart disease, you have illnesses like asthma, obesity, headaches, depression, uh, gastrointestinal problems like ulcers, Alzheimer's disease, you age faster. So all sorts of things, okay? So, you know, the inflammation in your body goes up when you're stressed out. And so a person who has experienced a high amount of stress in the past year, studies have shown that you have a 43% increased risk in dying. So you have a 43% increased risk for dying. You know, one study that was done over a period of eight years found that 182,000 Americans died prematurely due to stress. So that's over 20,000 a year, okay? 20,000 uh, for, for just Americans, okay? Now, Obviously, stress is a major issue. It's associated with many diseases. It's associated with uh, mental health. It's uh, associated with the rest of your body health. Uh, and so is there some type of guidance, some type of solution in Islam to deal with stress? Because isn't Islam supposed to be a way of life? Isn't Islam supposed to guide you uh, through all different types of matters and situations? So if there's something so major like this, then is there some type of guidance from Islam? Now, before I go any further, 
before we go any further and we speak about the Islamic approach, the guidance. And by the way, I, even though I say Dr. Sayed's prescription, I don't have a patent on this. This is all the healing uh, and all the wisdom you're going to get from uh, the Quran and the Sunnah, which uh, has been healing people for generations, for thousands of years, from the time of Adam salam to today. And it will continue to heal people tomorrow. But there is a caveat. And that is you need to use the medicine. You need to fulfill the prescription. I give you a prescription here. This is the medicine you need. Go take it. You take the prescription from my hand. You come see me in a week and you're like, man, I'm, I'm still feeling sick. I'm still, you know, uh, suffering from this disease. I haven't had any relief of any of my symptoms. Did you fulfill that prescription? No, I didn't. It's still in my pocket. It's right here. It's like, well, you have nobody to blame but yourself. Okay, so you have to make the first step. So, for example, uh, in Surah Muhammad, Ayah 17, Allah SWT says, while as for those who accept guidance, he increases their guidance and bestows on them their piety. So Allah SWT is saying is that you, if you want to increase your hidayah, you want to increase your iman, you have to accept it. Okay, you have to make efforts towards it. This is Allah SWT tells us in another hadith that is mutafaqun uh, in Bukhari Muslim, that uh, if you go to Allah SWT uh, in this particular hadith, Rasulullah uh, he tells us that if you go to Allah walking, he comes to you running. Okay, so you make, you have to make that effort first for Allah Subhanahu wa Taala to come to you, and it's purely for our benefit. It's purely for our benefit. Anything that we utilize, any of these teachings that we actually practice, that we utilize, it is purely it is for our benefit. In Surah Al-Fusulat, Ayah 46, Allah SWT says, Whosoever does righteous good deeds, it is for the benefit of his own self. And whoever does evil, it is against his own self. So whatever good that you do, whatever you follow, whatever this medicine you take, it's for your own benefit. You know, like I, like, like I said before, if I give you the prescription, it's not going to harm me if you don't take it. It's going to harm you if you don't take it. It's going to benefit you if you do uh, take that medicine. And so, uh, you know, if I if we just reflect on our sometimes our general demeanor and our behavior when it comes to approach of Dean, I just want to talk about this first before I go into the because it's super important to come with the right mind frame. And so you can have the right concept when you come in. So you have the right paradigm when you're coming in and you are told this uh, prescription. So uh, look at, you know, how we generally deal with the deen. Okay, how we just generally deal with uh, the guidance that we have in Islam. Teachings, Quran, Sunnah. So what Allah tells you from above the seven heavens, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed to his messenger like, 
wisdom that is unmatched, okay? And from the lips of Rasul and the actions and the silent approval of the Messenger of Allah you have like an ocean of wisdom as well. Now, look at how we treat our deen and, and how we treat some of our acts of worship and some of the things that should benefit us on a regular basis. So for example, look at Jum'ah, so Friday prayer. Uh, we'll keep coming back to Friday prayer. Uh, since, uh, you know, Friday prayer was a key element in one of uh, the stressful situations I had as a student. So look at the Friday prayer. How many times have you attended Friday prayer? And when you attend Friday prayer, what do you usually get out of it? And guess what? What you get out of it will be proportional. There will be a relationship of what you get out of Friday prayer, what you put into Friday prayer. There's a, there's a relationship there. Don't think I, I put in zero and I'm going to get something back. You have to put in some type of effort. And so I remember at one Jum'ah, and you might reflect, maybe uh, you find this within yourself or you've no, observed this or noted this about others around you. I'm sitting at Jum'ah prayer and people do stuff around you to distract you sometimes. Okay, so some people, they don't put in the focus and they're doing different types of behavior. And I'm not just going to, I'm just, I'm not even going to talk about the hadith that talk about people, uh, how their Jum'ah prayer is lost when they are distracted during the khutbah. Okay. But I'm, I'm sitting there and just like diagonally to my right, there's a person leaning against the wall. So the wall kind of slopes, you know, to, uh, to the right. Okay. So it slopes this way to the right. And then there's a person uh, in the row uh, sitting beside me. So the person who's sitting against the wall is almost like, uh, you know, uh, right in front of me, like in, in terms of my line of, of vision, just because of the way that wall slopes. Because, you know, you have a bunch of people uh, at Jama'ah who always, uh, you know, want to get that uh, area beside the wall, right? They want to lean up against the wall, okay? I can understand, you know, some of our... Uh, elderly people within our community but uh, some some of these is just laziness right it's just laziness and uh, you can even tell it's laziness like they come to jamai in jogging pants you know what i mean so like if uh, uh you know they're <laughs> it's like they just got up the hair is like you know uh you know messed up they're i don't know if the teeth are brushed or what but you know maybe there's some funky breath going on and they just like uh you know showed up to jamai Anyways, so this particular brother right there sitting in front of me, and he's uh, uh, he, he's on his phone. And he's fiddling around with his phone. And it's really, really distracting. And then there's a brother beside me, and he's fiddling around with his phone, and that's super distracting. And so the, the guy who's in front of me, the brother's in front of me, uh, I can see from like – because it's, it's the way he's dealing with his phone – uh, it just catching. It keeps catching my attention, even though I'm trying to like focus. You know, it's it's catching uh, my attention. I'm I'm seeing what he's doing. His peripheral vision, and what he has is like the compass app on his phone open. Okay, so he has the compass app on his phone open, and he's like pointing it towards the qibla, and then he keeps like flipping his phone, like you know, turning it around. He keeps doing it at 180, keeps flipping it around to see 
if that compass keeps pointing towards the direction of the Qibla. Okay, so maybe it's like a Qibla finder or something like that, right? And I was, th I was just like, man, like, what are you going to do? Like, what seriously are you going to do if you find that we're praying in the wrong direction? Or even if, like, we are, like, you're pr we're praying in the right direction, why do you keep flipping it over? Like, are you going to, like, now in the middle of the khutbah, like, tell the imam, imam, excuse me, excuse me, imam, uh, I just, you know, great khutbah, by the way, really solid. I, I forgot what you were talking about, but I'm sure it's very good. Uh, so I've been, I was checking the uh, direction uh, because it turns out uh, I had the new iPhone and um, it, it go, just download the app today, you know, um, from the app store. And uh, I was checking if you are truly praying in the right direction. And it turns out we are. So in case anybody was worried about that, uh, we are praying in the right direction. Go ahead, Imam, continue. Uh I'm done. You know, like, what are you going to say? What, what, what are you going to, what is the purpose behind that? Right. Or if, you know, maybe he's one of those conspiracy brothers where it's like, hey, you know what? This is a conspiracy. I'm going to keep flipping the phone and then it's going to show me the right direction for a second before it goes back to this direction that, you know, they want us to pray in. It's like, what are you like? What are you trying to prove? What are you trying to do? Okay. So he keeps flipping, it keeps flipping this thing. And I just, I honestly like had this urge to just grab his, his phone and just like throw it away, right? Like, okay, go find it now. Go use your GPS to go find your phone. And then this guy beside me is also like, you know, clicking away. And I don't know what he's doing. Maybe he's liking, you know, Instagram pictures of biryani or something. He's like oh, just salivating. Oh my goodness. Goat biryani, oh man, like, you know, <laughs> so I don't know what he's doing beside me, but then there's uh, the brother who, finally that brother who's in front of me, uh, he leaves, he gets up and he leaves, okay, and I was like, oh, alhamdulillah, like, okay, now I can focus on the salah, and then um, maybe about like five or ten minutes goes by, and then this brother <laughs> comes back, the same one comes back, sits on the spot. Oh man, I'm like, he's back. Whatever he did must have made him super tired because then he immediately, like within a couple minute minutes, like fell asleep. Okay. So he he comes he's flipping the thing, he comes back and he's like just snoozing then. He's like head is like you know off to the side and he's like falling asleep. So now Juma's supposed to be that. Uh, like a mini Eid for us as Muslims. It's supposed to be like uh, there's an hour during Jum'ah where the du'a is accepted. Like uh, it's like, uh, you know, it's an obligation uh, for many Muslims to attend the Jum'ah. There's so much reward in the Jum'ah. Uh, you know, there's, there's supposed to be all these benefits for us as Muslims to attend the Jum'ah. If you look at some of the writings of the scholars of all the benefits that we can get from attending the Jum'ah, do you think we would get those benefits with that level of effort and complacency that we put in? Do we get like the weekly spiritual boost? Do we get the weekly uh, charging of our Iman and our community uh, in, an, in a situation like that? Okay, so those are self-reflective questions we need to ask ourselves. We need to ask ourselves, are we getting 
out as much as we can get out of these acts of worship? Are we getting out from the Qur'an as much as we can get out from the Qur'an, the massive amounts of benefits? Are we getting out as much benefits as we can from the hadith, from the sunnah of the Messenger of Allah So now, let's start going towards the prescription. Let's start talking about the prescription. So, the most, according to the hadith of Rasul the most severely tested human beings are the prophets. Are the prophets. And then, Rasul he says, the Messenger of Allah says, then the next best and then the next best. Okay, in, in accordance with their religiosity. He says, a man is tried according to his religion. If he is firm in his religion, then his trials will be more severe. If he is weak in his religion, then he is tried according to his strength in religion. The servant will continue to be tried until he is left walking upon the earth without any sin. So that means the most severely tested, the ones that go through the most Stress are the prophets. And there's a wisdom why Allah SWT sent the prophets as human beings and not like angels, as were as was challenged by many of the mushrikeen, many of the pagans during the time of Prophet Muhammad. So by knowing how these human beings deal and cope with stress and manage stress, we can learn and adopt some of those same strategies those prescriptions, those formulas ourselves. That's why there's this most severely tested is so that we can learn from them. We can now have a prescription. We can now have a guidance. We can now have a healing, a formula on how to deal with stress in our lives, which affects everyone from every generation in their own way. Uh, and that can affect so many different, that can just pervade itself in so many different uh, aspects of your life. Okay, so that is a key reason why these prophets, because there are, they are our role models. They are our role models. And so if they are the role models, then we look to them. It's like, for example, if I want to learn to play, you know, basketball, or if I want to uh, become, uh, you know, it's someone to look up to. If I'm going to, if I'm, if I'm a person who's into basketball, the person I'm going to look up to is going to be, you know, the top players. Okay. I'm going to look up to them and see what their training was like, what, what their attitude was like. And because I know they're the top, I want to emulate them. So if I want to have any aspirations and becoming a professional basketball player, I'll look at those who have succeeded before me, right? I'm not going to look at, you know, somebody uh, who doesn't play basketball very well or just talks about playing basketball but doesn't actually perform, you know, in playing basketball. So I'm actually going to go to the real deal, the people who will serve as a true role model for myself. And so let's go to the prophets, role models. So there's prophet... Uh, by the name of Yunus ibn Matta. So uh, Prophet Yunus salam, was from Iraq and uh, he had a very stressful job and that is to give dawah to people. 
And if you look at the prophets, all the NBA, when they would give dawah to the people, they would be rejected, they would be outnumbered, they would be accosted, they would have to go through personal you know, tribulation. Sometimes you're at odds with your own family members. You're being you know, physically harassed, verbally harassed, and you're up against the status quo. You're you're tr- you're basically challenging many of the norms of society, especially many of the cultural norms within society. Okay, so he gave dawa, he was rejected, uh, be, and they just continued to persist in uh, kufr, and so he was frustrated and disappointed, and so he was very angry, and he and he left. Okay, so uh, as Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, he tells us in the Quran. That he just left in anger. He just stormed off in in anger, and he boarded a ship, and that ship uh, found itself caught in the middle of a storm, and there was waves crashing upon it from all sides. Uh, these people were at risk of drowning, and so they came up with the idea that there's a bad omen. There's something in the ship that's causing us for this to happen all of a sudden to us. So they drew lots to see who would. You know, uh, who would exit the ship. And so uh, Yunus ibn Matah, every single time, three times they drew the lot and it was him. And so he knew he had uh, to be the one to leave the ship. And so he finds himself like if you ever been on the ocean or if you ever been in a boat that's rocking, like, that's being hit by some waves, it's a very scary experience. Like especially if it's darkness so if you go like you know even if you go in a lake in the dark and if you were to fall into that lake just imagine the terror that would be in your hearts if you were to fall into a lake in like a pitch black type of darkness situation especially if there's a storm you're like in the middle of the storm and you're jumping that's like probably one of the most frightening things like you have no control over your well-being, like where you can end up. You can't even swim in that type of situation. You really have no real uh, escape route, right? If you find yourself to be uh, in the middle of the ocean, you throw yourself into the ocean in the middle of a storm, in the middle of the night. And so Yunus Sam, he found himself in that situation. And uh, this is, of course, the part where he's uh, swallowed by the whale and many of the Mufassarin, they say that the whale kept Yunus salam underneath his tongue. And so Yunus salam finds himself, like think about this, like life or death, terrifying situation, absolutely terrifying, okay? You have no control over anything. And then uh, you go from like this situation where it's absolute chaos around you, you find yourself stuck inside this huge animal. And so what does uh, Yunus salam do? Uh, he makes sujood. So he says, Ya Rab, I have taken a place of worship to you in a place where no other person has made sujood to you before. So he, in that particular instant, he makes sujood to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now let's stop here for a second. Let's let's stop here for a second. Now, when is a servant of Allah? When is a human being closest to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? According to the hadith of Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam in Sahih Muslim, 
the servant is closest to his Lord during sujood. So he says, so increase your supplications therein. So increase your dua when you are in sujood. So in a situation like, I want you to think about this. When we are at our most stressful situation, we're absolutely stressed out. What happens to, to, to yourself? Like, you know, you start thinking all sorts of different thoughts. Your mind may start racing. Uh, you're feeling anxiety. You might get a headache. Uh, and you feel like physiological, uh, sometimes pain. Okay, like you're going to feel like maybe some type of, uh, you know, pain and discomfort. And if you look at even a human being physiologically, what happens when you go through stress, uh, which it has a lot of the similar effects, by the way, uh, that what happens when you when you go through like when you're really angry. So when you become very, very angry, flight or flight, uh, you know, flight or fight symptoms, similar effects. So all this blood rushes to your core of your body, to the center of your body. Okay, so it becomes actually hard to think. So at a time when you, when you need to do like critical problem solving sometimes, it becomes very, very difficult to think. And that's how people become lightheaded because if a person becomes really stressed out, that's how they faint is because they have all this blood. So if you get super scared, all your blood rushes to the middle of your body. And so you're you have all this blood rushing out from your head and so you become lightheaded and that's how a lot of people will faint okay when they get uh, really scared or the, when they get really stressed out okay so and that's why for example like when you get super angry a lot of the similar types of physiological effects on you when you get angry like when you get super angry why why do people say oh i didn't mean to say that i said that out of anger why do people say that because they say uh, a lot of times really stupid things when they become angry because they're not thinking. Why? Same type of effect. Adrenaline uh, levels are spiking up. Cortisol levels are spiking up. All this blood goes into the middle of your body and then you're going to say something that you regret. You're going to swear at somebody. You're going to say, you know, maybe some racial language. You know what I mean? Like that's how people, uh, you know, oftentimes behave like at their worst when they're very, very angry. And that's why uh, Rasulullah according to Hadith of Abu Dhar, anhu, he says, when one of you is angry and you're standing, then sit down. And if you're sitting down uh, and you're still angry, then lie down. And in, in, in another Hadith of Rasulullah uh, he encouraged us to make wudu. Okay. So what happens biologically when you're uh, sitting or laying down or going in sujood is that now you're blood pressure starts to normalize okay you're getting now blood back into your what your head so you can start thinking more critically you can start thinking more rationally okay so there's a lot of physiological benefits just for going into sujood just physiologically going into sujood okay maybe that's why they have those yoga poses right like downward dog and and things like that right so you get the blood uh rushing to your head and uh you know you can start uh you know thinking better normalize hormone levels normalize blood pressure and and so forth so going in sujood you're doing that because think about that when you're ha when all this is happening physiologically stuff is going through you but also people call out to allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and you want allah to listen to your dua 
And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created us. He designed us. He created us. He knows what is best for his creation. So one of the most beloved acts of worship, one of the greatest acts of worship that is being described here is going into sujood, something that we do on a daily basis when we pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And it has an immediate spiritual and physiological, biological effect, a positive effect. It has an immediate beneficial effect that I'm searching for Allah, oh Allah help me, oh Allah help me. And in a place like this where there's darkness, where there's chaos, where death is at your front door, sujood. To get closest to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. To get close to the, so that your dua can be answered by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So you can start thinking. And, and, and then uh, what happens now, uh, what also happens, by the way, by the way, what happens when uh, another physiological effect, when you have a spike in like these, you know, in adrenaline and whatnot. Well, glycogen, glycogen stores, so the, the stored form of glucose uh, in your body. Is released, so you get all the all this free glucose that is released in your body. Okay, during stressful times. Now you have all this free glucose like coursing through your body. If you don't do something with that, so you have all this energy released energy to use. That is a that leads to a harmful effect. Okay, so you can have ketoacidosis. You know, similar effects of when uh, diabetics will have a spike in their blood sugar and they don't have insulin to uh, to regulate it. So here you have a huge spike in blood sugar. Okay, so a huge spike in your blood sugar. And what if you don't do anything with all that energy that's released? So, of course, going in sujood is a way of uh, uh, of releasing some of that energy. So putting some of your body to work. So one of the worst things that you can do is when you're super stressed out is just sit there and like let that stress just simmer. You know, some people who get super stressed out, they just if they just sit there and they're letting that stress just simmer. That's probably one of the most harmful things that you can do. If you look at the some examples from the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Battle of Khandaq. So this is uh, the um, the Battle of the Trench. Uh, there was this huge army, this different alliances, these confederates that came to uh, kill the Muslims, to annihilate the Muslims. Okay, all these tribes united together to kill the Muslims. And so the Muslims made this trench to as, as, a, as a barrier to protect themselves. But there was a lot of stress going on in that situation. Okay, They had al their own allies were betraying them. People were in, in, in such a state of fear. You know, some of the hypocrites were saying that uh, we feel too scared to even use the washroom. And so Rasul what does he do? Did he just, does he just sit there? And and do nothing. No, Rasulullah goes himself and is digging the trench. He puts the effort himself. He goes himself and starts hitting it. And uh, and there was this one unbreakable rock. No one could break this rock. And so Rasulullah kept hitting it, having positive thoughts, saying, "Okay, we're gonna conquer. Uh, you know, a sham. We're gonna conquer. Uh, you know, the Persians. We're gonna conquer uh, Yemen." So he's he's giving these these, these positive messages. Okay. So, so immediately, Yunus Alaihissalam goes into sujood. And as a personal experience, I remember uh, growing up. No one ever told me. Uh, I, I came to find this hadith out later. 
uh, about how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is his closest to his servant when he is in sujood. But I always used to like any type of different stresses in my life, uh, different occurrences. One of the things I would always do is after salah, I would make dua in sujood. And I will always feel really good and, and at peace when I would make dua in sujood. And sometimes brothers would come up to me afterwards and say, are, are you feeling okay? Is everything okay? Are you feeling sick? It's like, no, 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 I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm just, just making dua. So I always used to feel very, very good uh, doing that. And I encourage you to do that on a regular basis to make dua, have like an open mic with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in sujood. But do it. I know subhanAllah, sometimes I've, as I mentioned uh, uh, from the outset, you give this advice to people. So, you know, I, I know some brothers who are dealing with a lot of stress. So I said, did you try making dua and sujood on a regular basis, turning to Allah every time you like, you feel a little bit overwhelmed, a little bit stressed out, do you make He's like, no, no, I, I, I haven't done that. It's like, but you told me you loved that lecture that I gave about how to manage. It's like, oh yeah, yeah, it was a beautiful lecture. It was, yeah, it was really good. I really enjoyed it. It's like, well, it's not for you to just enjoy. It's for you to actually utilize, right? Like uh, practice it. That's how you're going to get the benefit from it. It shouldn't be just like entertaining that, okay, oh yeah, that's so nice. No, when you are stressed out, go and sujood. doesn't matter where you are. Yunus alayhi salam made sujood in a whale in a, the middle of the ocean. In the middle of a storm, okay, that's where Yunus made sujood. Don't let anybody. There is nobody that can keep you from connecting to Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. How many people were unjustly imprisoned? In uh, they were in prison, and the way that they survived was by making sujood to Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. That no matter where they had tried to bury them in what type of dark, deep. A disgusting dungeon, they were able to still connect closer to Allah more than many of us would be able to connect to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So make sujood, okay? Make sujood, uh, you know, to, to Allah. Where, whenever you get stressed out, make sujood. Seriously, just do it. I need to keep saying it. Just do it, man. Just do it. Because a lot of people will say, oh yeah, that was cool. Yunus salam did that. Or okay, yeah, I get it. So yeah, there's there's physiological benefits, and so you can uh, you know quote scientific information. Subhanallah, don't take out the heart and soul of Islamic knowledge by just making it as trivial information. The way you keep the heart and soul in Islamic knowledge is by actually practicing it. You know, a lot of times you'll see brothers, man. Some some brothers know a lot of stuff. They know a lot of hadith. They know a lot of tafsir. They know a lot of things from history. But they don't practice any of this. They don't practice any of the things that they learn from Sahaba. So they they can quote to you all these stories of courage and confidence, and then it's like there's no practice of that. You know, there's no practice of that 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 courage or that, that confidence. There's no you know none of that sunnah being implemented. Okay. So now Yunus salam, he makes sujood and then what uh, according to the hadith of Rasul is the best time to make dua is in sujood. So he says la ilaha illa ant subhanaka inni kuntu min So he makes this dua which we're going to we're, we're going to break down because this is this is a short dua uh, it's a powerful dua but it's oftentimes a very neglected du'a 
because the messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam the last messenger and prophet from Allah the best of mankind the head of the best ummah that ever lived was ever raised for mankind he states that none who is experiencing difficulty or distress employs this dua so says this dua except that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would relieve them of their difficulties wow man last week i was so stressed out hey man take some ativan take take some uh, you know anti this is this is the prescription this is the way that we're sometimes conditioned take a pill something oh uh, many people are managing stress okay cannabis it's legal now alcohol it's been legal legal for a long time Okay, they're going to manage stress in all sorts of different ways. Uh, stress eating, stress shopping, you know. Uh, so uh, all these different, you know, coping mechanisms. But make, how simple is that? Doesn't matter how rich or poor, what your condition is, making this short dua and then... Uh, and then in addition to that, making sujood. So, la ilaha illallah. Okay. Immediately, Yunus alayhi salam, he says, there is no deity worthy of worship except for Allah. So now, when you truly make that statement and you reaffirm that statement, and you think about all the implications that that statement means, that should have a tremendous effect on your psyche, on your mindset, in the state of your heart. That means nothing happens without the decree of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Allah decreed that for you to happen. And if Allah decreed that for you to happen, then you know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the all-wise, all the all-knowing. And those, and so for you, that is the most best thing that could happen to you. And you know that because Allah SWT decreed that for you, Allah SWT can deliver you from that. You believe in that. So how, how are you going to get depressed when you believe in that level of qadr of Allah SWT? A lot of the anxiety people go through when they're managing stress is their, uh, their obsession with uh, the future outcome. What does the future hold? How will I get through this? What does it look like on the other end? Will I ever get through this? But if you put your trust and your hope in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, what type of mindset does that change in you? What effect is it going to have in, in your thinking? Imagine if you're being stressed by an oppressor. Somebody that's giving you stress. La ilaha illallah. That there is no deity worthy of worship. Allah is greater than any stress that I can face any oppressor that I can face, any disease that I can face. And then you realize it is to Allah SWT that you re return. Okay. And of course, then look at this Subhanaka. So this is glorifying Allah SWT. That glory, all glory is to Allah SWT. And so he, he, he turns his direction, the focus, to Allah, that he's looking now to Allah, not only is he, because a lot of people will think, okay, yes, Allah's in control of everything, and why is Allah punishing me? What did I do to deserve this? 
So not the, the first after the first thing after he acknowledges that Allah is in control of everything. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one that brought me into this, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one that can deliver me from this. Subhanaka. All glories to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Husnudun. I have a good outlook. I have a good thought about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I'm not blaming Allah. I am not uh you know using uh Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's power as a means of like uh, now removing any type of uh, responsibility for myself because the next state statement is um so in so that uh verily I have been uh, amongst the wrongdoers. Verily I have been amongst the wrongdoers. Any change that you want to have in your life, if you are in a stressful situation, the way you change yourself from that that situation, the way the way you're going to change that is that you need to reevaluate your decisions, your thinking, your actions. And the only way that you do that is by admitting that there is something that you need to look within. You know, it's uh, there, there's, there's a quote that says that it is uh, the definition of insanity is to do the same thing over and over again and expect a different result. And so when you're going through that uh, that fitna, that trial, that tribulation, that stress, look at Yunus salam, who is the best of mankind. He's the prophet. And he's saying, verily, I have been amongst the wrong doers how many how many of us how many of us would do that how many of us look to ourselves when we do that so there's a hadith of our rasul in sahih muslim he says wondrous is the affair of the believer for there is good in him for him in every matter and this is not the case for anyone except for the believer if he is happy, he thanks Allah and that is good for him. And if he is harmed, he shows patience and that is good for him. So now, if that's the case, if that's the case, we know all the ill effects of stress. We know that it is a tr tremendous effect on a person's health, mental health, their physical health, well-being, or all these things. How can stress be good for you then? How can stress be good for a person? In light of understanding this hadith, in light of understanding this dua, because didn't you just quote me a study that says a person who's gone through a major stressful event in the past year, they have a 43% increased risk in dying? Yes. But you know what? That same study shows that if you just make one shift and if you just believe that that stress is good for you, then your increased risk of dying is 0%. So it goes from 43% to 0%, no increased risk of dying in just what? Change in belief. Just change in belief. So if you just believed in the hadith of Rasul that it's all good. It's all good for the Muslim. It's all good for them. That if you go through a stressful, if you're going through good, good times, you're thankful 
and that's good. And if you're going through hard times, you're patient, and that's good. Okay? So if you believe that stress is good for you, then it doesn't have that effect. And as a Muslim, we don't allow stress. We don't have a negative thoughts in relation uh, to that stress. Like our, our reaction uh, should be grounded with faith, with iman. And so there might be negative negativity hitting you, but your response allows you to go to a positive space. Okay? Now, I have to make a point here. I have to make a point here because in the past, some people misconstrued what I said and they thought that, okay, everything stressful in my life is good. Okay, there's a difference between good stress and bad stress. And how am I going to define bad stress? Okay. How am I going to define bad stress? Okay. So I would say good stress, meaning that the way you feel that any stress is good for you is stress that is unavoidable. Okay. Uh, or stress that doesn't come to you uh, from your repeated misgivings or your repeated mistakes. Okay. So you can have bad stress if you don't learn from your mistakes. Okay. Because you can't use now this hadith or this study to validate your bad habits. Right. Because, for example, you have brothers. You know, they're always, uh, and sisters do this probably too. Uh, you know, sisters share your uh, experiences. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I know some brothers, they're always running late. Okay. So they're always running late. And why? And they're stressed out. Okay. And so now they might use this hadith and distort it and say, oh, you know what? Like, uh, this is good for me. This feeling, the stress is always good for me. And they're always procrastinating. No, no, no. No. That is different than, say, for example, you're going to an appointment, you're going to a meeting, you're going to an event, you have a commitment, and you get a flat tire. So out of your control, okay, unless that flat tire was like, you know, the, the guy who changed your tire has been telling you for the past three years, you know you have zero tread, you know you have zero tread, you should you should need to get new tires, and you're like, yeah, 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 it's okay, that's okay, okay, <laughs> you know, let's eliminate uh, that thing, okay, but... Uh, you you have a flat tire, you know, you swerve off the side of the road, it's raining, it's stressful. You say alhamdulillah. Okay. If you need to make sujood at the time, make it. Okay. Just go in a safe spot or just in your car sitting down, make sujood, uh, make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then you get to work, you get busy, you figure out how you're gonna get out of that situation. Uh, but if you're continuously late because of your bad habits and procrastination and you always leave late, that's from your own shortcomings and that's not good stress. Because Allah SWT tells us in, in Surah Al-Rum, Ayah 41, evil has appeared on the land and sea because of what the, uh, of what the hands of men have earned. Okay. And so that Allah may make this taste them uh, taste a part of which they have done in order that they may return to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Okay. So you may be in a stressful or in a bad situation or in a fitna. Uh, we might be having, for example, the fitna that we're dealing with, like of oppression because of disunity, because of what our, our own hands have earned. You know, we're not putting our hands out uh, to each other as Muslims and reaching out and trying to bring the ummah together. Okay, so that's part that we're we're partly uh, to to blame for that, 
And so it's not about you can't justify making uh, mistakes or not learning from your mistakes or, or learning from uh, situations that Allah Subhanahu wa Taala has put you through. Okay, because initially it may be unexpected, but then you have to learn from that. Okay, I, I can now learn that if this in this particular situation, if I don't make these considerations, I'm going to keep putting myself in a stressful situation. Okay, that's why our Rasul Sallallahu he tells us in another hadith, the believer should not be stung by the same hole twice. So a mu'min does not keep making the same mistake twice. Okay, keep making the same mistake over and over and over again. Okay, so you have to learn from what you are doing. So that's bad stress. That's how I'm going to define bad stress. So bad stress is not necessarily that I, um, you know, it's stuff that I just need to cut out of my life. You know, for example, some people might say, hey, you know what? I need to cut out uh, giving sadaqah because guess what? I have some money stress and if I give sadaqah, then I have less money. And uh, and so like, you know, I need to cut that out. No, no. See, like the way shaitan plays with your head. Okay. Because giving sadaqah can increase your risk, giving, increase your wealth. Okay. All right. Now, let's talk some more scientific stuff. There is, it is a hormone, a neurohormone in your body called oxytocin. Okay. Now, oxytocin, uh, it's a... Uh, it's a hormone that fine tunes like the brain's social instincts, okay? So it strengthens close uh, relationships. Uh, when this is released, like you want, you crave physical contact. Um, when this is relief, released, you're more willing to help and support uh, people. You become more compassionate and caring. This hormone is pumped like through your pituitary gland and sometimes referred to as the love uh, hormone, okay? Now, just like adrenaline, this hormone is also released at times of stress. But this hormone is a natural anti-inflammatory, okay? So it has a natural anti-inflammatory effect. And it actually has a protective effect on your heart, okay? So it protects your heart, okay? I want you to think about it. It's protecting your heart. It's making your heart trying to connect with people. It has these like, it's trying to release these warm, fuzzy uh, feelings, okay? And if you're able to increase this hormone, okay, then you can actually protect your heart and some of the effects of stress, okay? So a person can recover faster from stress. So for example, one of the ways they've studied how you can increase this hormone is if you try to connect with 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 people with good types of people caring people then it can it can increase the level of this hormone now this hormone should be called the fitra hormone what yes this hormone should be called the fitra hormone because i want you to think about this this hormone is released at times of stress so, for example, Surah Yunus, Ayah 22, Allah SWT describes like a situation where stormy winds and waves are coming on people from all sides and they think they're encircled within it and they're, they think they're about to die and they make dua to Allah, if you deliver us from this, we shall truly be of the grateful. So in that moment when death is facing them, they're encircled by death, they turn to Allah. Okay, so they try to connect 
in the most stressful situation in their life with their creator. So the most stressful situation in your life, when you hit the highest peak levels of stress, it doesn't matter if a person hasn't been going to the massage for like years. At that moment, they're like all of a sudden, okay, you know, la ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah, Allah help me, okay? So when you hit that, that's probably the most that, that that basically removes all these, you know, because there's a lot of ways we deal with stress, right? So you could deal with video games, you could deal with drugs, you could deal with uh, it in, in, in you know uh, through through uh, different types of relationships. But when you are hitting like death, you're facing the fitna of death, the stress of death. All of those things now become removed. It just becomes now okay. I need to turn to Allah. You're trying to connect to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So why do I call this the fitr hormone? Because even on a physiological level, this is released to affect your heart to connect with somebody. Okay. And who is the one when you are facing stress, these levels of stress that can benefit you? Because they say you need to connect with people that are going that are, that give you a beneficial relationship. So obviously, connecting with somebody, you don't want to connect with your uh, your crack dealer. You know what I mean? Oh, you're stressed out. Here, you know, I'll give you 15% off on this. Uh, you know, hit of the crack pipe. Okay? No, you you want to connect with people who are going to be beneficial. There is no one that is more bene beneficial than Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. So during that time, subhanAllah, it's like this fitra hormone just frees you from all these different chains that you usually, these different vices that you try to grab onto and the, this dunya that's imprisoned you and then it gives you this direct link and connection to Allah Taala. Because just complaining to anybody actually has and, and, and the manner in which you complain. So complaining and the manner in which you complain can have a very negative effect. So even though this hormone is released uh, in, in, in attempts to try to connect okay, with, with somebody, if you do it in the wrong way, you can have the opposite effect. So there was research done in Stanford University that either uh, complaining or listening to complaining for extended periods of time peels back the neurons in the hippocampus. Okay, so the, you know the area of the brain that is responsible for problem solving, cognitive function, uh, it actually becomes damaged. Okay, so if you're complaining, that becomes damaged. If you do extended periods of complaining, it becomes da damaged. So they, they equivocated half an hour of complaining a day equals brain damage. And that same damage occurs if you are listening to somebody complaining as well. Okay. Now, uh, the reason why they say that, they say it doesn't mean necessarily that you don't voice the problems that you're going through, but it's the manner in which you should do it. So you should do it in a way that is positive. So for example, if uh, you had a bad experience at a store, you need to positively complain to somebody who can do something about that experience. So maybe you go uh, to the manager in a polite way and you know you try to articulate why you felt you were treated unfairly and you deal with it in, in that type of way, okay? 
So there is the manner in which you do it to and who you should do it to because they said it's somebody you should you should talk to a problem uh, your problem about someone who can actually make your situation better. So for example, if I complain to somebody and I'm like gossiping about somebody who bothered me and so they listen to it and they said, oh yeah, that person's the worst, you know, maybe you should put like, um, you know, rat poison in their coffee or something, you know what I mean? So they're giving you like the worst advice in the world. Uh, and, uh, and so now you're just going, both of you are, are going through a pr process of brain damage. So complaining for the sake of complaining causes brain damage. And I think many of us have experienced that. Like you hear somebody complaining for a while that's like, it gives you a headache. Okay. So now who do we turn to? We turn primarily, firstly, and foremostly to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who is the one who can deliver us from any of the situation that we're facing. And even the way that we reproach Allah, think about the etiquettes. Look at the etiquette of the dua of Yunus alayhi salam. Look at the etiquette of the dua of Ayyub alayhi salam, who was suffering uh, from you know skin disease, which you know some of them say is leprosy. Uh, he lost his wealth. So think about you know what, what people are going through right now in COVID, okay? Maybe they, they, they suffer from COVID. They lose their wealth. They're having issues with their family. So he had issues with his family. His family left him. So he's going through all this tremendous amount of stress, all this, uh, all these different issues at the same time. So what does he do? Who is he complaining to? Is he complaining? Oh, my wife left me. Is he like singing a country song? That's like, <laughs> you know, when I think of a country song, I think of like, you know, somebody singing about how their truck broke down and their wife left them and their house burnt down and, you know, all of these different things. Right. So what, what does he do? He. He, he, he turns to Allah, he makes dua, and look at the etiquettes and the husnuddun of how he turns to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He says, truly adversity has affected me, and you are the most merciful of all who show mercy. Wow, so beautiful. Such adab, such manners and respect and character and akhlaq. Okay? He's turning to Allah in such a soft and beautiful way. You know, not in a, in a, in, in a blaming way. You know, like... Uh, you know, like when I was a kid, uh, you know, I, was just, I used to see Bollywood movies. Uh, I, I don't anymore. OK, so if you want to scandalize me online, I don't do it anymore. OK, <laughs> but I remember um, these Bollywood movies when like they would go like there would always be like this scene where the hero like has suffered some kind of crazy defeat and then he goes to the idol. Right. And he starts like ringing the bell. It's like, you treated me so unfairly. I was such a good person. I was such a good son. And I always worshipped you. And I fed you milk and all this stuff. Like he's just sort of like ringing this bell. And he's like basically has a temper tantrum on this idol. Okay. So he like he's like blaming this idol and complaining this idol. And then all of a sudden it keeps going to the idol and it goes back to the bells and then it goes to the hero and crying and then it goes to the idol. And then all of a sudden it's like some miracle happens and uh, the the hero is able to like overcome, um, you know, his his situation. But like I was, I would always remember, I'm like, man, this is such a rude way of like approaching your God, you know, to, to do that. Um, you know, I was just thinking, like, if I if I were to do that to my parents, like, you know, like you grounded me and this is all your fault. And because you grounded me, you know, I wasn't able to go to my friend. It's like, yeah, you know what? Well, you're grounded for another week. How do you like them apples? You know, <laughs> so uh, there, there's an etiquette. There's a way that you go to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There's a different mindset that you do when you when you go to uh, go to Allah. So anyways, 
Um, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells you first of all, okay, so this is very important. Invoke me, so ask me and I will respond to you. Make dua to me and I will respond to you. Okay, so Yunus alayhi salam in the most stressful situation of his life, he makes dua to Allah. Okay, and I want you to also understand this uh, aspect. Don't make your dua transactional. Don't make your dua transactional. Your job is to embrace the grind. Your job is to embrace uh, whatever problems you're going through and you make dua to Allah and you are reliant upon the wisdom of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You're reliant upon the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And you understand that Allah may answer your dua at that moment. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala may save that dua and save you something from something even worse. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, there could be a wisdom that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants you to go through the, this situation so you become better, you come closer to Allah. There could be so many reasons why you are going through that and it is out of your scope of understanding. So don't make your dua transactional. You know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, is, is not there that you make dua and then, okay, here's, you know, for this dua, for this act of worship, you get this. Okay, the reward that we are truly seeking, the everlasting reward we are seeking is in the Akhirah. Okay, we may seek and want certain like uh, temporal rewards in this dunya, which is completely fine and acceptable to ask for. But the ultimate and everlasting dua we are asking for is in the Akhirah. Okay, so after you connect with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, there you don't just you don't just have to connect with Allah uh, and just leave it at that okay no you can collect you can connect uh with uh righteous people okay and remember uh, there's one more point if you have a habit of connecting to Allah your your instinct your reaction when you go through stress will be to connect to Allah. It won't be very hard to do. It won't be. It's like, you know, for example, when people have a bad habit, they go through a stressful situation. Uh, they go drown their sor sor sorrows at the local pub. You know, some people have that that habit. So uh, you want to make it a habit to connect because when you go through that stress, then you'll be more likely to connect with your Lord, your creator. That's why Yunus alayhi salam, uh, it was said about him, had he not been of them who glorify Allah, so this is in Surah Al-Safat, Ayah 143 to 144, he would have indeed remained inside the belly of the fish until the day of resurrection. So the reason his dua was answered and the reason he even made the dua in the first place is he he was used to, like that was like his his tongue would be moist with the dhikr, with the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So he was used to that. That was part of his programming. It wasn't something strange for him to go through. You know, to look, oh, well, now I got to turn to Allah. No, he was doing it on a regular basis. So when you're stressed out, you turn to Allah. Okay, so you go, you, you, uh, your, your, your habits come out at, at times like this. Okay. So, uh, our Rasul an example of now connecting to positive people after you go through a st stressful situation, what are we saying? Connect to Allah. Okay, so recap, a little bit of a recap here. So we're saying, we're connecting to Allah. What is What are the best ways, practically, physically, uh, you know, and all sorts of ways to do that? 
you're going into actual sujood, you're making ibadah, you're going into sujood and you're making dua. Okay? In a, and understanding that and you understand the dua and you understand the connection and you understand the the depthness and the meaning uh, behind all of that. Okay? Then you connect with positive people in your life. So, our Rasul Sallallahu when he received revelation for the first time, so when he received wahi, that was a such a huge impact, like and it, and it was quite stressful. If you look at the description of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu when he uh, encountered Jibreel Sallam and he learned the first ayat of the Quran, uh, it was so powerful, so shocking, so stressful that uh and we know first of all if ayat in surah al-hashar if ayat of quran were revealed on a mountain it would have crushed the mountain that's how powerful ayat of quran are okay so now this uh monumentous historical event and make no mistake about it wahi was was one of the greatest historical events in human history so revelation was one of the greatest human uh, events uh in history so he comes rushing home to his wife, okay? Somebody who was a positive force, somebody who he had a caring, compassionate relationship with, okay? So this is the type of person, by the way, Khadija radiallahu anha. So when he comes home and he sees Khadija radiallahu anha, uh, by the way, Khadija is the one that Jibreel alayhi salam specially came to her conveying sal salam greetings from Allah and also he did it from himself from Jibreel to Khadija anha, okay so especially came giving salam to Khadija anha. so he comes home he's stressed out zamiluni, zamiluni, like cover me cover me dathiruni, dathiruni, embrace me embrace me and so uh, you know he says like am I losing my mind Khadija anha, she says to the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam Allah forbid, he will surely not let something like that happen to someone like you, for you speak the truth. You are faithful in trust. Uh, and, uh, you know, you bear the affliction of people. You spend in good works uh, in what you gain in your, in, your, in your business, in your trade. You're hospitable. You assist your fellow man. So she goes on to say, like, all these positive things. She comforts him. What a positive uh, person, you know. Reminding him of his good qualities, reassuring uh, her husband, and then after that, another practical benefit. She takes him to get some expert advice. Who does she go to? She goes to her cousin, who is a scholar of Christian scripture, Waraka bin Nawfal, to get advice. Subhanallah, the positive person. That's that's somebody who's helping you. It's not a person that says, "Okay, you don't know, forget about it. You had a bad dream. Oh, uh, like uh, like that's that's crazy talk." Or no, look at the positive relationship. How uh, she's interacting, how she's engaging, and how when he's connecting with her, uh, he's getting uh, you know some clarity, some comfort, uh, some uh, support for a direction to move forward. So yes, you need those positive relationships in your life. In um, in Surah An-Nisa 140. Conversely, so on the opposite end, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala He tells us uh, about the hypocrites. Uh, so don't sit with them. 
Don't sit with the munafiqeen. Unless they start talking about something else. So these munafiqeen, these hypocrites, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're cursing the deen, they're making fun of the deen. Uh, don't sit with them because Allah SWT says later on in the ayah, that you will become like them. You're going to be like them. So if you sit there listening to a complainer, you are actually going to become a complainer, by the way. You be like a cynical, pessimistic complainer, always complaining about the community, always complaining about the situation, but never doing anything positive about it. You're going to turn into them. They've actually done studies to show that a person who's complaining, you can actually look at the wiring of their brain. Like you can take an MRI and see that the shape of their brain. So the way that their neurons connect are very specific. And a person who listens to that complaining, guess what? It starts mimicking uh, those connections of those neurons. Okay, so birds of a feather, they do fly together. Okay, so you want to be around people who are going to be positive, who are going to help nourish your soul, who are going to give you a positive path to get out of your stressful situation. And we know one of the fundamental responsibilities that we have to each other as Muslims is, is nasiha, is advice. Our Rasulullah he says, ad-deen al-nasiha. That the religion is advice. That we give advice to our leaders. We give advice uh, to uh, each other as Muslims. We get it. We, we. This is how we support each other. Is we lend an ear and we should give people positive uh, types of uh, advice. Okay. So beyond uh, connecting uh, with Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala, you connect with positive people, and then there is something that uh, oftentimes. Uh, is unknown to people, but those who do it, they understand the power it has of of how you can alleviate stress or deal with stress or different problems in your own life. And the clue that we that I'm going to talk about first is going to come from again from the Quran and the Sunnah in Surah Muhammad, Ayah Seven. Allah Subhanahu wa Taala says, "Oh, you believe? If you help in the cause of Allah, He will help you and make your foothold firm." Okay. And also in the hadith of Rasulullah says, if it's take care of the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and Allah will take care of you. Okay. So by serving the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, by serving others, by serving people, by helping people, you are actually in turn helping yourself. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will help you. In a hadith in Sahih Muslim, narrated by Abu Huraira, it's a lengthy hadith. I'm just going to quote uh, portions of it. The Messenger of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, whosoever alleviates the difficulties of a needy person okay so for example a person who can't pay his debt back allah will alleviate his difficulties both in this world and in the akhirah okay and he and the hadith continues on to say that allah will aid a servant of his as long as a servant aids his brother so allah will aid you and help you as long as you are helping uh, your fellow human being. You're, you're, so you're going through stress, for example, in your life, and you can't really do anything about your stress. Okay. So say, for example, I'll, I'll, I'll give you like a scenario. Run, think about this in your uh, to make it real in your life. So you have a disease. Doctors are saying this is all we can do. Uh, we can't do anything more. We've given you the medications. You're gonna have to live with this. So you're just gonna keep deteriorating. So now you can just sit and mope and be stressful. You can just sit there and say, okay, you know, how can I just um, spoil myself and how can I just think about myself? 
Or you can say, hey, listen, I'm going to fight for righteous causes. I'm going to serve the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I'm going to elevate humanity through the guidance of Islam. And you help uh, a, uh, a mother, you help an orphan, you help uh, people, you, you're, you remove injustice from somebody. Maybe you can pay for somebody's education. That person makes dua for you. Okay. That dua reaches Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and is accepted by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah who controls everything relieves you, cures you of your disease. You understand what I'm saying? Like we are sometimes helpless to help our own situation, but we can help somebody else. And imagine if everyone had that mindset. We okay, you know, I can't help myself. Let me help somebody else. But but if everyone does that, then everyone's actually helping each other. So you may not be able to help your own situation, but you're putting so much of that positive energy and efforts out there to help humanity, uh, to help in the absolute highest level you can do that is through the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, bar none, then you are actually helping your own condition. You're helping your own condition. And guess what? They did a study that says people who experience major stress and they don't help others, okay? So they don't actively help others on a regular basis. They have a 30% increased risk in dying. And guess what? Those who help others no increased risk in dying. So uh, look at the life of Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu He experienced tragedy, lost uh, loved ones, relatives. He suffered personal attacks. Uh, he had financial issues. So he dealt with all of these uh, different types of issues, but he always cared to help people. Even when he didn't even have himself food for himself or his family. You know, he, he was caring and concerned for the well-being of others, even the psychological well-being of others. Uh, there, there was uh, the, the brother of Anas bin Malik, عنه, who lost his pet bird. His pet bird died. And so our Rasul went to him, Ya Abu Umair, ma fa'ala nughair. Like his little bird, he asked about his bird. How's your, how's your pet bird doing? You know, that care and concern. You know, our Rasul struggling Nasian community, Medina, Salman al-Farsi comes seeking help to get out of the chains of bondage. Our Rasul is trying to help him raise money, get him out of that. Adi bin Hatim comes to ask the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam some questions. He was a Christian. He came to ask Rasul some questions. And as they're walking to the house of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he sees like people coming up to him and he's helping different people. Someone comes up to, oh, we're dealing with highway robbers. He's giving them advice. Okay, how do you deal with that? You know, somebody, someone's, uh, you know, uh, needs money. He's helping them with that. And when he comes to the house of the Prophet, peace be upon him, he sees that all he has is one cushion, and that single cushion he has to sit on, he offers it to Adi bin Hatim. Okay, the whole life of Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam, he was thinking about others, uh, irregardless of himself, his own well-being you know you know like we don't understand the power of serving this deen we've neglected serving this deen and so we get the fruits of our labor you get the fruits of your labor so if you haven't labored for this deen how will you get fruits from this deen i'm going to say this again 
if you haven't labored for this deen, how will you get the fruits of this deen? Why are the prophets the most severely tested? And then the people according to their religiosity. Do they have the capacity to deal with greater amounts of stress? How And how do they do that? Well, they do something by connecting to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They connect to good people around them. And they try to positively change their environment. They're serving the deen. They're helping uh, humanity. So now, if I go back to my story, um, you know, I had a, I remember the uh, the Thursday, I was thinking about what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And then I said to myself, listen, I haven't missed Jum'ah since I was a kid. And I can't let somebody tell me that I cannot attend the Jum'ah. And I was fully expecting that when I go in and tell them that I cannot, um, you know, miss my Jum'ah, that I would be terminated on the spot. You know, so, and I was thinking, calculating in my head, okay, how am I going to make rent and how am I going to do this? How am I going to pay for this thing? So then I went in, I spoke to the trainer Friday morning and I said, listen, I appreciate I need to do this. Uh, you know, you want me to do this training, but uh, I can't miss my Friday prayer. You know, I, I, I just can't do it because, you know, you know, that's a test for you. When you say that, that Allah SWT is the best of providers, then you have to, it's like you got to put your money where your mouth is. Do you really believe that? Or are you just reciting that? Or are you just saying that? Or do you really believe it? Do you, when you're going for Jum'ah, do you really believe in what you're doing at when you're going for Jum'ah? When you're fasting, do you really believe in that stuff? You know what I mean? So it's kind of like a test. Do you really believe that Allah SWT is the best of providers? And subhanAllah, uh, when I told her that, she like looked at me and she paused for a moment and she said, you know what, I really respect your commitment to your deen and to your religion. You know what, it's not actually that big of a deal. Your first shift, just come in a little bit earlier and we'll give you the little bit of you know tips or training that you need and you, you should be able to start and be able to go off to the races after, you know, that first day. So subhanAllah, like is as if she wanted to test, is this thing legit? Is this like, does he really believe in this Friday prayer? Does he really believe in this religion? Is this something that's really meaningful for him? Because like I put in all this time, right? So there's that that uh, that sunk cost fallacy, you know, that they teach you in business. That you put in so much time that, okay, I can't pull out now. I've just put in too much into this thing, okay? So, you know, she now had this different type of respect and admiration for Islam. She now looked at Islam in a completely different light. If I had imagined if I had just said, okay, you know what, forget the Friday prayer. Then she's like, okay, yeah, that's like anything else. That's any other, like any other type of custom or it's a cultural thing. Uh, it's like anything, you know, it's like a hobby. It's like whatever. But it's like at that moment, she appreciated that what you believe in has some type of really deep meaning. It has a deep purpose. And that's what we need to start chasing. 
we need to start living for purpose rather than fearing pain. And stress can bring all sorts of pain. But if you live with a purpose, if you have a purpose, and your purpose is to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah does not neglect his servants. Allah is merciful to his servants. So turn to Allah, live with purpose, don't fear pain. And this is Dr. Sayyid's prescription, his Rx to deal with stress. We will see you all on our next podcast on Saturday. Uh, be sure to, I guess I'm so new to this thing, like like, subscribe, follow, share. Uh, but I think the most important thing is is if you can implement, like if you, regardless if you do that other stuff, if you can implement, uh, you know, some of these things, it's coming from the Quran and the Sunnah. It's really beneficial for us, for our well-being. If 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 that's the main thing that you can do, then inshallah ta'ala, we've succeeded with the purpose of this podcast. And um, as always, we live by the haq, we die by the haq. Just when you think life is stuck, tune in to Life Haq. Do I feel that the New York police are providing enough protection or do I have to have protection of my own? I look for protection from Allah.